Tonight is Kutch Night at PNC Park. I know it's a big night because the Pirates are charging more for tickets than they usually do. Andrew McCutcheon returns to PNC Park for the first time as an opponent. He is now a San Francisco Giant. I bet they draw about 30K. Maybe more. Not a sellout, but pretty good. Anything less than 30K would be an embarrassment. There's going to be a video tribute to Kutch between the halves of the first inning. And everyone is going to go nuts, and everyone should go nuts. But that not only says a lot about Kutch, it says a lot about the Pirates franchise and what the fans have been conditioned to expect and to settle for. This is the Mark Madden Show. I am a super genius with a tested IQ of 166, and you can't teach that. But a boom, smartest guy in the room. 412-333-WXDX is the number to call, or follow me on Twitter at MarkMaddenX. Andrew McCutcheon was a very good player on a team that hasn't had very many good ones since, like, 1993. Kutch never won a playoff series. Kutch played poorly in the playoffs. Zero home runs and zero RBI in eight playoff games. But that's what passes for a legend on a team like the Pirates these days. That's what passes for a legend when you haven't won a world championship or even a playoff series since 1979. On the Yankees and a lot of good teams... Kutch is just another player. But on the Pirates, Kutch is a legend, and everybody wets their pants when he comes back. That's not wrong or something to be ridiculed. That's an accurate reflection of the situation. Everybody says he's a nice guy. I bet he is. I'm not sure that matters. Actually, what matters most is that the Pirates win and maintain their good start especially if a lot of fans do show up tonight when paying customers in the building you got to impress the pirates need to make the playoffs this season anything less is not achievement anything less is artificial in penguins news phil kessel still has not talked to the media winnipeg beat nashville ha First-timers, no next-timers, and maybe last-timers. Pecorine blew it. He let up two soft goals and got yanked in the first period. Wow. Tampa and Washington play game one tonight as the Eastern Conference Final gets underway. So, we got a lot to talk about. And I'm still fascinated by the concept of of organized adult kickball leagues in the Pittsburgh area, which John Steigerwald sees as a threat to American masculinity. Stag joins me at 415 in studio right here on 105.9 X. In kickball, how do you kick the ball? What's the recommended execution? Do you toe poke? Do you side foot? Or do you rear back and put your laces through it? What's the technique? Kickball is co-ed. That's big today. Co-ed sports are huge. There's a lot of co-ed deck hockey. 
two women runners have to always be on the rink. Three men, two women per team, plus a goalie. Usually one woman plays wing, the other one plays defense. If you want to win, you take your biggest guy and post him up on the female defenseman. Win the physical battle. But that doesn't often happen because, well, chivalry, sportsmanship, and all that. Some people are expecting the show to stumble with the Penguins being done. Contraire, Pierre. These should be some great shows in the days and weeks ahead. With no clear focus, well, when the going gets tough, the weird turn pro. Uh, The Steelers are still a topic. That inside backer position, which stinks. There's no nice way to put it, it stinks. You got Bince, Bostic the free agent, Dirty Red, and that LJ Ford guy. Some think they should sign Timmons back. But when he went nutso and jumped the club last year, when he was with Miami because of a woman, it said, I don't think the Steelers want that, especially since Timmons is 31 and kind of past it. The Steelers generally don't like to recycle up, maybe at a low price. I don't know. You can tolerate wacky behavior if a guy can play. But I'm not sure Simmons, uh, Timmons still can't. Now, he can play both inside backer positions. He's got experience, so that would work in his favor. But I think if it was going to happen, it probably would have happened. Uh, some think the Steelers could still make a trade for an inside backer. Yeah, right. Maybe they could trade for Keekley or Mosley. It's not very easy to trade in the NFL. The Steelers couldn't even trade up at the draft. That inside backer spot is going to be a problem. Lots of second and sevens, seconds and eights coming their way. The Steelers had that great offense, so other teams are going to want to run the ball to keep the Steelers' offense off the field. And they will be able to do just that against those inside backers. The Steelers can't legitimately contend for a championship with that defense. They can win the AFC North and even win a playoff game, but they won't get home field and probably won't get a bye, and they can't win a bunch of playoff games in a row with that defense. Sooner or later, somebody outscores them. I can see why Ben's mad. Drafting Mason Rudolph was just a trigger. I bet Ben is really mad about that defense and how it's constructed. Uh. Mason Rudolph says Ben texted him and wished him luck as Steelers rookie minicamp started today. See? Ben loves him. By the way, Matt Hasselbeck of ESPN said that Ben's interview about Mason Rudolph was the epitome of immaturity and selfishness. Yo, who'd Matt Hasselbeck ever beat? Where are his gold medals? He's not a two-time Super Bowl champion. I can assure you of that. In fact, Super Bowl 40, that is all the people need to know. Anyway, we can talk about Steelers rookie minicamp. We can talk about the Steeler D. Or we can talk about kickball. we got Jason Mackey, the Post-Gazette, to talk Penguins. 
at the bottom of the hour. Oh, this just got tweeted and has been before regarding the Steelers' inside backer position. Brian Cushing is a free agent inside linebacker, uh, played with Houston. But he sustained a partially torn MCL in 2016. He was suspended for 10 games last year because he violated the NFL's drug policy regarding use of PEDs. He's a two-time second-team All-Pro, but not since 2011. That's a long time ago. And Cushing is 31. He's seen better days, and there's lots of risk there. If I had to pick between him and Timmons, I'd pick Timmons. There's risk with Timmons. Not as much. He's been here before. He knows the system. 412-333-9939. In just a few moments... Did you watch Game 7 between Winnipeg and Nashville last night? Pekka Rene just collapsed. He went out there and choked like a dog. And if I'm the Nashville Predators, I'm thinking, yo, is there any point to keeping Pekka Rene anymore? Same thing with Columbus, Sergei Bobrovsky. If the goalie can't win when it counts, does it matter if he's a Vezina finalist or a winner? During the regular season? I'm not sure it does. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9 x And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. No one wants to hear your life story. What do you want to say on my radio show? Hey, yo, Mike. Mark, how you doing? Call me Mike. DX at 105.9. Last night was crazy. That game seven between Nashville and Winnipeg at Nashville. Pecorine, the Nashville goalie. He leaked in two bad goals in the first period. And that's the sixth time Renee has been pulled in 18 playoff games. It's at the point where Nashville should get rid of him. And Columbus might as well get rid of Bobrovsky. If you can't win in the playoffs, a good team needs somebody better in goal for the playoffs, not during the regular season. And Renee is clearly a choke artist. He got Nashville to the final last year, but there were a couple games where he did them no favors against Pittsburgh in those finals. He's a four-time Vezina finalist, but what good's that done the Predators? Bobrovsky won the Vezina just last year. He had a two-games-to-none lead in the playoffs against Washington in the first round. You know, a lot of the Euros are very aware of and frustrated by the fact you don't get paid for the playoffs. And there are those who think that is reflected in their performance. Uh, Stopping shots in November is one thing, winning the Vezina, whatever. Stopping shots under pressure, like in the playoffs, that's totally different, and Rene can't do it. Bobrovsky can't do it. Last night was the fastest a goalie ever got pulled in a Stanley Cup playoff game seven. Fastest ever. That's not just soiling the bed. That's projectile diarrhea. That's not just choking. That's swallowing a chicken bone sideways. So Nashville lost game seven. Five one at home. Yikes. So now it's Winnipeg against Vegas. I'm picking Winnipeg. But Vegas could win. I think Nashville would have been a big favorite over Vegas, Winnipeg's a lesser favorite. 
In the East, it's Washington and Tampa. I got Tampa. Uh, Tampa would have been a favorite if Backstrom was 100%. Don't know yet if he's going to play or not, but uh, he won't be at full tilt. That's safe to assume. So now everybody in Pittsburgh is going to root for Marc-Andre Fleury. Me too, I I guess. But I don't really get into the mistress team thing. And Pittsburgh pulling for Fleury is funny. Ironic because half of you... Tried to run Flurry out of town how many times? But let's go Flower. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Uh, Colin Dunlap from the B team, uh, he was on Twitter, and, and this wasn't a challenge to me. I think Colin's a real talent. I, I like his work. But uh, somebody parroted me and said the Kutch is like a top 15 pirate, but no better. And he said, okay, well, name the 14 that are better. Well, here's who I think is better. As I think everyone has to agree on. The top five in some order is Clemente, Kiner, Stargell, Wagner, and Bonds. And here's other guys I think are better. Bill Mazeroski, only a 260 lifetime average, but the best fielding second baseman of all time. And he hit a home run that is the most significant moment in Pirate history. And that counts a lot. Pie Trainer, best fielding third baseman ever, Hall of Famer. Also appeared on Channel 11 Studio Wrestling in the 60s and 70s. Who'd Kutch ever beat? Paul Wehner, Hall of Famer, unbelievable stats. Dave Parker. Not in the Hall of Fame, but I saw Parker play. I saw Kutch play. Parker's better. Slightly. In the same class. So there's nine for sure I think are better than Kutch. So if you want to say bottom end of the top ten, maybe that's realistic. But then there's Lloyd Wayner, Hall of Fame. Arky Vaughn, Hall of Fame. Kai Kai Kyler, Hall of Fame. Nobody ever saw them play, so it's tough to say, hey, they're better. Like, the, the old-time guys I mentioned, like Wayner, Paul Wayner, and Pi Trainer, and Hannes Wagner, certainly. I never saw them play. There's no video, but their numbers are just overwhelming. And then you got Brian Giles. And, and again, I, I just keep saying, how on earth can you say he wasn't better than Kutch? When he leads the Pirates all-time in OBP, slugging in math majors, you probably figured this out already, OPS. How can you not say he's better? If you want to say he only played seven years with the Pirates, or what was it, 700 games, uh, some relatively small amount, then okay. But Kutch, I feel very comfortable in saying, at best, he's bottom end of the top ten. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Uh, I got this. I, I got a video of this along with a blog posted on the Mark Madden page at WXDX.com. Connor McDavid is ripping apart the World Championships in Denmark. And the NHL Network guys are wetting their pants because McDavid had a hat trick against Norway. Wow. A hat trick against Norway. 
The key words in that sentence are hat trick and Norway. The word Norway means the words hat trick don't matter at all. I just can't make a big deal when a guy who failed to get his team in the playoffs after they were maybe favored to win the Western Conference goes to a B-list tournament and scores three goals against a C-list hockey nation. Sid is still better, Junior. Sid is still better. Uh, McDavid was stick-handling around those Norwegians like they were pylons. Thing is, they are pylons. They should wear orange. Talking of that, you know what's on TV right now on the NHL Network? The U.S. versus Korea. It's currently 6-1 early in the second United States. If, if I were on the U.S., I'd be embarrassed to celebrate the goals. And, and then last night, the U.S. beat Latvia in overtime. To quote a great man about another disenfranchised Soviet Republic, you know, I'm no geography major, but I don't even think these MFs had a country a couple years ago. Should we be going into overtime with them? You know, it's a good question. When did people start to take the Vegas Gold Knights seriously? When did people realize how good they could be and obviously are? For me, it was when I was at that game in Vegas in December and they beat the Penguins 2-1. to one. And I saw a couple other Knights games that week live while I was there. And in person, you can really see how fast they are. And Jerry Gallant's a heck of a coach, which I already knew. Up next, more hockey talk with Jason Mackey of the Post-Gazette, 105.9 X. This is Patrick Hornquist of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 DX. Joining me now for more of that best hockey talk, he covers the Penguins for the Post-Gazette. He is Jason Mackey. I'm a guy, that was a good article today on the trials and tribulations of Matt Murray this season. At just 24 years old, he's been through a lot already, hasn't he? He absolutely has, Mark, and I'm really and continually impressed. Not like I was impressed for the first time the other day when he talked about it, but just the amount of perspective that that kid has um, to, to think about that sort of stuff. And, you know, everybody's obviously very upset at the loss, and I understand why, but, uh, you know, he lost his dad at something I can personally identify with, and then he, he brings up that and the injuries and, and losing here and the way they did and, uh, definitely feels like it'll make him better for it, and I believe him. I mean, David, franchise guy, a really, really good person as a franchise goaltender, and you know, I am, I am absolutely not in the camp of the group that's going to blame Matt Murray or say negative things about him. No, I thought he could have played a bit better in the playoffs, but I think he was still uh, coming back all the way from that concussion in February. And for me, Makai, the only worry with Murray is injury, uh, but he's an all-star talent for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not saying he's above criticism. I think he should have played better, and I think he'd be the first person to tell you he should have played better. But, you know, I mean, his crime is not playing to like a 940 save percentage or something in, in the playoffs. I mean, that's a little extreme of a grading scale, don't you think? But, I mean, I, I think there's a large part of the fan base that, like, wants to crush Murray for, for basically not being Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, Fleury's tremendous, but we're really lucky with the guy we have here. Well, it's funny, too, because uh, now everybody's cheering for Flurry in Vegas, but for years, half of the people listening wanted to run him out of town. Oh, I know. I know. It's revisionist history, and you're forgetting about all of 
and again, I, I feel bad even saying this because I'm not trying to pick on Flurry. I think he's tremendous as well. But you know, I, there, there was a period there where the knock against Flurry was that he couldn't perform in the playoffs. And all of a sudden, we have a guy in here who performs his best in the playoffs, and they're saying, "Oh, well, Matt Murray's regular season wasn't good enough for he. He can't stay healthy." Like, I, I get the concern. I just don't get the freak out. Now, do they need a better backup? And why don't they trust Tristan Jari in that role? Because clearly they don't. I don't think they need another backup, Mark, or a better backup. I think Casey DeSmith is honestly their guy, and I think what you're going to see uh, is maybe them. I'm not saying they'll ultimately. Okay, we appear to have lost Mackey. We'll get him back in just a second. I hope so, because I want to say, why do they like Casey DeSmith over... Tristan Jari, because that's something I not understood. 412-333-9939. Is, oh, we got him back? Okay. Makai, you there? I'm here. Sorry. Well, let me, let, that, that's all right. Uh, do you like the Smith as the number two over Jari? That's one thing I don't quite get. I do like that, Mark, and here's why. I, and I, I think this is echoed throughout the organization as well. They, they kind of feel like in a pinch they trust the Smith more. Now, if somebody would have to make a run of starts, at least as of now, Jordan would be the guy. And I think it was that way through the playoffs. If Murray would have had an injury and they had to start somebody for an entire series, I think it might have been Jari to get that. But sporadic work, I think, is something that they worry about a little bit with Jari. Um, that being said, I think at some point you need to take training wheels off of Matt Murray. And I'm not saying they're going to train Tristan Jari this summer, but I do think that they're going to you know, maybe dip the toes in the water and just see what it is. I mean, you don't need two young franchise goaltenders with another young guy who's capable of being a backup. It's a little bit overkill. Um, so I'm not saying they're going to do that. They very well could come back with both of those guys next season, meaning Murray and Jari. Uh, but it is an interesting dynamic. Do you believe Daniel Sprong is definitely going to be a regular next year? I heard Jim Rutherford say that. I didn't hear Mike Sullivan say that. Yeah, and I think they have very split opinions on Daniel Sprong, Mark. I really do, and I think Sullivan is maybe a little bit hesitant to play him because of his lack of 200-foot game and how Sprong plays, and I don't know if I agree with Sullivan here. I mean, you know, the guys won two Stanley Cups, and who am I to question him, but... You know, I just I, I don't think they feel the same way about this player. Um, I think that if Sprong is with the organization, he will play. He will be a regular, and he will be in a scoring role. I mean, that is the mandate we heard from Jim Rutherford the other day. Um, I I don't rule out the possibility that Jim said what he said, though, as sort of like a trade prop, um, almost like a Pouliot thing. I don't think it's the same scenario, but it doesn't do Jim any harm to be pumping – Sprong's tires publicly, saying he's going to be in the lineup. And then this summer, when he goes around to other GMs, you know, sort of pointing to those comments, pointing to Sprong, and you can get more for him if you trade him. If Sprong is a regular, and I'm thinking Zach Aston Reese is going to be a regular too, who gets the boot or moves down the depth chart? Yeah, I mean, I don't see how you can continue running Connor Sherry out there unless his production changes, um, assuming you want to get Daniel Sprung in the mix and Zach Aston Race as well. Um, I wouldn't rule out them moving Carl Hagelin just because of Rutherford's history with guys going into contract years, probably isn't going to negotiate with them in season. You're going to lose them after the year. Um, I think the question they need to answer is can they backfill that enough Um you know, do they feel like they're going to get enough on the PK? Are they going to be fast enough? I think there are some real concerns about taking Hagelin out of the lineup. But at the same time, given their depth at forward or specifically at wing, I should say, 
I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, obviously you're not going to see Rust go anywhere. I think they have some, some questions to answer on Kessel. Um, and, and I think Dominic Simone is another, another X factor. As much as I probably wouldn't have him in my lineup, it seems like Sullivan would. When he first became coach, Sullivan trusted the young guys implicitly. A lot of them joined the club from Wilkes-Barre at about the same time he did. Has that faded? Is he more of a veterans coach now? It's an interesting question, Mark. I think Sullivan has his guys that make him feel comfortable. And I think Dominic Simone is one of those, for whatever reason. I think Brian Ross, Connor Sherry, Jake. Well, Kemp, Dominic Simone does not make me feel comfortable. <laughs> I agree with you. I'm right with you. But I do think that maybe it, it – I think a lot of coaches are like this, too. If you see them, if you coach them, you trust them. But he didn't see a lot of Daniel Sprague, and it's just not a game that meshes well with Sullivan. I mean, I, I wouldn't say he is a failure to trust many guys, but I do think there's a – sort of hesitance to trust Daniel Sprong, if that makes any sense. It's just, you know, it, it, there's a certain style of Sully game that Sprong doesn't play. And I, either he's going to have to go or Sullivan's going to have to relent, and I'm not sure which it's going to be. We're talking to Jason Mackey of the Post-Gazette. He's brought to you by our friends at windownation.com. Uh, for me, Mackay, their forwards are good enough right now. Uh, I think they need another defenseman or, or maybe even two uh, to get to the level they were in 16 and 17. Absolutely, Mark. Uh, that would be my off-season shopping list uh, to a tee. I think that they need a better five, I think would be the... I've, I've always liked Jamie Alexiak better on the right side. I think Jamie Alexiak likes Jamie Alexiak better on the right side. And basically what they need to do is get Ian Cole, sad as it is to say. I mean, they need a number five who can play on the left side, kill some penalties, be reliable, add a little bit more physicality. They have enough puck movers. Uh, but that's what I'd be looking for, a reliable guy who can play the left side. And um, I, I guess you look at the forwards, but I just don't really see any sense in doing anything. Like you said, they're plenty deep. How bad was Kessel hurt? Because Rutherford said he was hurt, but Sullivan put the heat on him by saying Phil's injuries were not significant. Yeah, and I know some of the stuff I was hearing toward the end of this thing, I, I had it put to me by a couple different people that kind of downplayed Kessel's injuries. Um, so I, ultimately I, I, I'm not really sure what I think about it. Um, I really wish that Kessel would have talked, although I don't want to be one of those media members that, that sits there and whines or anything. It feels like I'm, I'm owed something. I'm just saying like, as a curious mind, I wish he would have talked and I wish I would have been able to find out what it was. Um, I think he was hurt. Do I think he could have played through it? Yes. And I think that's what bothered Sullivan that he didn't play through the injury more effectively. One thing I think ties into Sullivan not being enthusiastic about Sprong is Kessel already drives him nuts. Kessel would drive any coach nuts. Phil's a good player, but he's the anti-player, not in the mold of a typical NHLer. And when Sprong joins the team, you got two of those, and they play the same position. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wrote this in January when Sprong came up. and I, just, I don't feel like you can have two of those guys on your team. And if you can trade Phil and get return for him, I'm, I guess that makes sense. I think you're going to take a lot of heat for trading Phil, and I'm not even sure that's the best move for the Penguins. But until that happens, you know, Daniel Sprong is kind of in his own category. Like if, if you have one guy that drives you nuts, doesn't play a ton of defense like you're talking about, Mark, I feel one more than Mike Sullivan wants to deal with. And so you try to get him to do two, that's, that's going to be tough. 
So that's why I think that... I, I, I don't think that that could last for more than half a season. I really don't. I think after half a season, you'd you'd feel compelled to get rid of one or the other. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think there are only certain coaches in this league that would put up with something like that. And Mike Sullivan isn't on that end. Well, every single coach in the league would be frustrated by either player. That I can guarantee it. But, but two, it's asking a lot, but still... You need guys who score, and you can never have enough, and those two guys both can. Now, let's get to Chris Letang. Letang wasn't as bad as some fans think, but he wasn't as good as the Penguins need him to be, was he? No, he wasn't at all. Uh, I think there was a lot of overreaction to Letang um, and sort of forgetting the idea that this is what this guy is as a player. I mean, I'm not trying to excuse all of his blunders, but, like, at his best, he's going to have some bad moments. Let's all, let's all get over it. Now, do I think Chris Letang can be a lot better than he was this past season? Absolutely. I think Letang would agree with that. Um, another thing I don't think people take into consideration enough is it wasn't entirely physical with Chris this season. And I, you're around him, Mark. You, you've talked to him and know him. And he, to me, seemed like a different player mentally. I don't know whether he was thinking about the neck, thinking about the recovery, thinking about the Penguins asking him to kind of change his game a little bit. Uh, but I, I do think that at times he looked like a guy who was just thinking way too much for someone that plays as much of a sort of read-and-react game as he does. And I respect the way he plays, but I also wonder if at age 31, and having the recent injury history he does, if it wouldn't behoove him to simplify his game a bit. Yeah, I do think he is, and he's talked about this too. He talked about this throughout the season, sort of starting out simple and then building up from there, even within a single game. You know, if it's the first period in a 50-50 play, he's going to make the safe play um, and then sort of grow from there. Um, but we saw him get into a nice groove in the middle of the season when he simplified things, and I agree with you. I think that would be smart for him. I just think it's really tough when he's not right to walk that line, and I thought he kind of screwed himself a little bit this season when he, he tried to walk that and then he'd, he'd you know, be too passive and then he'd be too aggressive and then just start thinking too much in general. Well, I think this next year's a, a, a real litmus test because he's going to be healthier. He's going to have had a summer to work out. And the further he gets away from the neck injury, I think we're going to see what Chris Letang really has left, won't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I don't love this term, but it's a put up or shut up year. You know, I think that a large amount of Penguins fans should probably chill out on, on the Latang bashing and realize that he's just going to be here. I, I don't think the organization will even try to move him, and I don't think they could if they tried. He's going to be back. He's going to have a full off offseason. Um, if he stinks next year, I think it's fair to sort of react to that and get upset at that. But uh, Latang is the type of player, and I, I really do think he'll do this, with an offseason, with a little bit of a, a new look at this thing, I think he'll be just fine. He'll be the dynamic Latang of old. I think so, too. And uh, what happened with Broussard? Because Murray and Tanger and Phil, I got figured how they played, why they played that way. But I can't put my finger on what happened with Broussard, although Rutherford said he was hurt. Yeah, and he, I thought it was interesting what Jim said, too. Not just like, he, oh, yeah, he was hurt. It was an injury that was very difficult to play with. Um, it was also an injury that those of us who were around the room every day, we didn't see him taken care of. Like, you know, when Broussard walked by, it's not like he had a knee brace on or, you know, his arm in a sling or something like that. 
my suspicion is a groin. I don't know that you know to be confirmed, but you want to talk about a guy who can't really do everything he wants to do. I mean, and you don't see any evidence of it. That sort of matches up. Um, but I'm also willing to give Broussard a bit of a pass or an incomplete and um, let him reassess it. If he was that hurt for the general manager to come out and say it the way he did, I think we all need to have a fresh set of eyes looking at Broussard next season. Finally, Makai, who's going to get to the final and who's going to win the cup? All right. I do like Vegas. I like Tampa to get there, but I like Tampa to beat Vegas, unfortunately. I wish I could pull for Flurry, uh, but I just think Tampa's too good. Given what happened last night with Renee and what happened in the Columbus versus Washington series with Bobrovsky, don't those two teams have to take a look at whether it's worth having those goalies at that price tag because they can't win in the playoffs? I would. I absolutely would. And to our the, the point we started off with, Mark, with Matt Murray, I think it just adds to the importance. If you have a guy who can perform in the playoffs, I don't care what he does in the regular season, just give me that guy come playoff time. And, and Renee and Bobrovsky have shown time and time again they're just not up to the task in the playoffs. I would absolutely reassess. Makai, great stuff. We'll talk again soon. All right, Mark. Thanks for having me. That's Jason Mackey of the Post-Gazette. Great stuff from Makai, as always. Brought to you by our friends at windownation.com. Got a lot of weird stuff to talk about. In just a moment, going to talk about Kutch's impact on baseball in Pittsburgh. Because if they're averaging only 12,000 a game now, I'm not sure what happened between 13 and 15 had much impact whatsoever. I'm Mark Madden, 1059X.com. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark, I'm super excited to be calling you right now. He's brittle. He's a mind. He's not an arm. He's a brain. He's not a body. The X at 105.9. There's a debate on the B team about Kutch's impact in Pittsburgh. He didn't win, and Pirates attendance is way down just a year after he left, and not because he left, but perhaps because during the window, the team disappointed, the ownership cut the window short, and ultimately nothing was accomplished, so I think Kutch's impact was minimal. He didn't have the impact of Ben or Sid. He didn't even have the impact of Malkin or Heinz Ward. Kutch didn't win, and he had zero home runs and zero RBI in eight playoff games. Yeah, I know. He's a nice guy. But I don't give a rat's ass about none of that. You win or you don't. Winning is what makes you a legend. I don't see the return of Kutch tonight being quite as emotional as the return of Flurry. Because Flurry won and Kutch didn't. And Flurry was more visibly likable. For example, he never treated Robbie Itmikoski like a jerk during an interview. But Kutch just said to the media, quote, it's good to be home, unquote. It would bring a tear to my eye if I wasn't so busy rolling them. No Quarter, brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. We talked about this yesterday. Would you like to see three-on-three overtime during the NHL playoffs? I would. I bet those AHL guys who played five overtimes a couple nights back 
I bet they'd like to see it too. No shootout, but three-on-three overtime to a finish. People got stuff to do. Uh, Phil Mickelson is wearing a dress shirt to play golf at the Players' Championship. Check it out online. He's wearing a dress shirt. It looks weird and uncomfortable. It's a sponsor thing. Uh, The Players' Championship is thought to be the fifth major, but Phil Mickelson certainly isn't playing that way. At plus eight, he's going to miss the cut and probably did it on purpose so he doesn't have to keep wearing that shirt. A Tiger Woods finished today at minus one on the tournament. That's right around the cut line. Are we ready to admit that Tiger's just another golfer now? He doesn't suck like he did, but he's not great like he was either. He's mediocre, as being right around the cut line would tend to indicate. Tiger doesn't stink anymore. He's about a 500 golfer. So let's all celebrate like we do when the Pirates finished 500. Uh, I said yesterday that LeBron James has totally jettisoned the team concept in favor of making everything all the time about him. There was a good article on TheBigLead.com about LeBron's impending free agency because he always has those opt-out clauses in every contract he signs. No matter what, no matter where LeBron goes, he really can't win. He'll get ripped. I don't think it bothers him. But if he stays in Cleveland or goes to the Lakers, he's never going to win another title. That's what people are going to say. And they'll probably be right. If he goes to Philadelphia or Houston, he's an old guy ring chasing. Joining the two best young players like Philadelphia got or joining two Hall of Famers in Houston. He'd be ring chased. But LeBron doesn't care about negative publicity. He just wants publicity. And he doesn't even have to dance for it like Juju Smith-Schuster. The other night at the Penguin game, whenever Juju got on the Jumbotron, he was up and dancing. True story. Anybody who was there I don't even have to make fun of it. I just have to say what we all saw. Every time he got on camera, he was up and dancing, doing the dab, and some other dances I don't know the names of. 412-333-9939. Wonder who people will be rooting for tonight. You know what I just thought of, too? I I don't know this, so where's Kutch Bat in the Giants' order? Because they're doing the tribute video between halves of the first inning. I think they should do it before the game, and here's why. What if Kutch bats in the first inning and, like, strikes out? And then they play the tribute video. For one thing, him having batted will dilute the ovation for the tribute video because he'll already have gotten when he goes to play. What if he gets, like, drilled and rushes the mound? Or gets drilled and he's hurt and has to leave the game before the tribute video. I think that tribute video should be played before the game. Buckos, hear me now. And thank me later. Oh, here's another Kutch quote. If I cry, I cry, big whoop. You know when I cried? 
when Kutch didn't have a home run or an RBI in eight playoff games in his Pirates career. But, big woo. Oh, the Pir- the, the Giants lineup is in. He's batting second. So, yeah, so he's going to get the standing on when he bats in the top of the first. And then they got the video between halves of the first inning. They should play that video before the game. The bigger ovation should be for the video. And with him batting before the video, I bet him batting gets the bigger ovation. I don't blame the Pirates, though. With the Penguins, they've had so many great players leave and come back because the team's been so successful. They know how to do this. Pirate fans are thinking, hey, was that a shot at the Pirates? No. Up next, if I can find it, I my, my my notes are literally all over. Oh, here it is. Up next, I'll tell you why I like the Pirates players. Where's the music? I will not continue until I hear the music. There you go. I will tell you why I like the Pirates players, but I can't like them too much because I hate Pirates ownership. 105.9 The X.